Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast, everybody. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have my friend, David Steele. David, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast, brother. Thanks, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's good to talk with you, Dave. Uh, can you just catch us up on what's happening since we last talked in your life, marriage, ministry, and your latest ministry projects? Absolutely. You know, first and foremost, my wife and I are always uh, super busy in ministry here at Christ Fellowship in Everson, Washington. There's never a dull moment as we watch God uh, transform uh, his people by his grace. And so a good chunk of my time, of course, is invested in preparing sermons and teaching classes and shepherding the flock at Christ Fellowship, where I serve as senior pastor. And we've been here just under 10 years now. Uh, for almost 15 years now, I've been writing book reviews, as you know, and continue that ministry as a way to reach out beyond the walls of this church that I pastor. And most recently, I've had the opportunity and the pleasure of teaching at Ecola Bible College. And I've just enjoyed that ministry immensely. In fact, I just returned uh, last week from teaching John Bunyan's classic work, The Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, just reminded myself that the, the lessons in that book are, are simply astounding. Uh, sin, salvation, sanctification, temptation, friendship. Really, if you think about it, almost every branch of systematic theology from Armardiology to Christology to pneumatology, theology proper, and of course, uh, eschatology. And uh, so that was a, a, a fantastic time uh, meeting with those students and ministering to them. As far as writing is concerned, I have several projects that I'm uh, continuing to work on. Uh, one project is focused on pastoral ministry. Another one is theological in scope. And then I have two projects I'm working on, on the Christian life. And then the final project is entitled A Christian Reading Manifesto. And the goal of this little book is to convince people that reading is a vital aspect of Christian discipleship. So throw some surprises in there for you. I don't think we've even talked about those before. No, I don't. I don't think we've talked about the one on pastoral ministry or, or maybe some of the others, but very exciting, right. brother. Very exciting. Well, you know, uh, we're going to talk today about your new book. Uh, the book is Guys Spineless, Restoring Courage and Conviction to the People of God. Can you tell us why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received, brother? You bet. Well, like my previous three books, my goal is to always encourage and equip the church. I believe that God is calling his people to be bold, to stand strong. He's calling his people to, to be brave. Um, and God requires divine courage and divine enablement in order to be effective on, on the battlefield. And anything less, as I talk about in the book, is simply spineless. So the first part of the book uh, diagnoses the decline and of courage and conviction. And I discuss in that first part the rampant decay of spinelessness that I see taking place in the church. That all leads to part two, where I explore the recovery of courage and conviction. 
And here I speak about the necessity of prayer, uh, the necessity of having a strong allegiance to the word of God and a steadfast commitment to proclaim the truth, among other things. And then finally, in part three, uh, which is entitled The Rally Cry of Courage and Conviction, I encourage followers of Christ to um, to buckle up their chin strap, as it were, and enter the battlefield prepared. And so the theme of the church that I, I pastor this year is the theme that we've entitled Battle Ready, Encouraged, and Equipped. And that's really what I'm trying to accomplish in Spineless, to render the followers of Jesus as, as battle ready. Wonderful, Brother. Well, guys, I have the privilege, Dave gave me the privilege of endorsing this book so you know that it's biblical and you know that it's sound and that I recommend it. So let's, uh, let's dive into this uh, great subject that you've written about. Can you uh, tell us about J.C. Ryle's lament over the church in his day and your concern about the church in our day? Oh, you bet. So J.C. Ryle is uh, one of my theological heroes. I, I love this guy. In fact, the, the book is dedicated to J.C. Ryle, and I describe him as a lion of God and a stalwart of the faith who lived with all his might, faithfully proclaiming the truth no matter what the cost and fearless in the midst of the flames for leading courageously and living according to his convictions for faithfully wielding the sword of truth in the pulpit and always willing to stand with courage in the pyre. So here, here's a man, Dave, who served as the Bishop of Liverpool and ministered to a people who were living in a compromised condition. J.C. Ryle was never afraid of addressing controversial subjects. He always spoke in plain terms, and he always spoke from the heart. He was really a, a man of his times. Even as one who died in 1900, he continues to speak to us today. A great story is when my son was a senior in high school, uh, Nathan and I read together Ryle's book, Thoughts for Young Men. And my son was immediately struck by J.C. Ryle's candor, and he was moved by how relevant his challenges were. And he said this to me. He said, man, dad, this guy is really, really cool. How old is he? And I proceeded to show him the picture of the guy with the Duck Dynasty beard and told him that he died about 120 years ago. And my son's mouth just dropped open. And that's the thing about J.C. Ryle. He was truly a man of his times, and he speaks directly to each of us. So when the book of Hebrews speaks of Abel, who offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, the Bible says, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And I call that dead men talking, because Hebrews 12.1 refers to the heroes of the faith as a great cloud of witnesses who surround us, giving us impetus to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us. And so J.C. Ryle's concern for the church over 120 years ago is the same concern that I have for the church today. Ryle confronted the rampant spinelessness in his day. And so the book seeks to pick up where he left off by not only confronting spinelessness, but by instilling courage and conviction in the people of God. Yeah, that's so good. And we, and we need that today because we're facing so many issues yeah. in, in the church 
um, and outside the church. We need to be ready. And you, and you said something that's really important. You spoke to, you know, about false teaching and false teachers. What are, what are some of the marks of false teachers we should be on the lookout for? Well, the Apostle John warns us that um, many antichrists have come in 1 John. He says this, he says, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And then he says, who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And then you think about Acts 20, as the Apostle Paul reminds us that there are, are wolves at the gate. And I think of these wolves as ferocious. Paul warns in Acts 20, 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. It's interesting, that word fierce means uh, someone who is a troublemaker, a, a savage. And likewise, Jesus warns us, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And so these ferocious wolves are satanic ambassadors who do the bidding of the prince of darkness. They seek to hinder the work of the ministry. That's exactly what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2. And they work with all their might to stir up pride in the people of God. And as you just said just a minute ago, it's it's working. They're, these false teachers are alive and well, stirring up pride among the people of God. Um, a, a second mark of a false teacher that has always struck me is that they are stealthy. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so a stealthy person operates in a way that prevents them from being seen or detected. And so scripture reveals some specific ways that these wolves showcase this stealthy behavior. So scripture suggests that uh, when strong, godly leaders depart, deceivers step in. Scripture says, I know that after my departure, these fierce wolves will come in among you, that is, in the confines of the local church. And so in the early church, the wolves knew that the Apostle Paul had a passion for church planting. And so once Paul is gone, they would have a better chance of infiltrating the church with their lies, their treachery, and their deceit. Yeah, what they forgot is he's coming back. He's coming. <laughs> he's going to come back. He's going to address you. You're going to be right. the subject of his of his thoughts. That's exactly uh, right. Yeah. So so good. Great answer, brother. Well, what are what are some ways we can recover courage and conviction in our day? Well, that's a great question. And in, in the book, I discuss several ways to do just that, namely to recover courage and conviction. And the first way actually begins in a very unlikely place. It's a place that I describe as totally counterintuitive. A Christian who is characterized by courage and conviction must first make a commitment to being a man or a woman of humility. Humility. And so Paul's prayer is that we would be grounded in Christ. And so I discuss in the book some practical ways of doing this, very basic ways, things like getting to know the Bible getting comfortable with systematic theology, getting familiar with the attributes of God. Uh, I love A.W. Pink, who says, uh, how vastly different is the God of Scripture from the God of the average pulpit? So if we have any hope of recovering courage and conviction, I believe with all my heart, we need to begin by being humble before a holy God. I think of 
Isaiah 66, verse 2, that says, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Uh, There's several things that I list in the book, but another way to recover courage and conviction is to have a strong trust in the sovereignty of God. One thing I've discovered as a pastor for the last 30 years is that many people give lip service to the sovereignty of God, but when pressed, they really don't believe it. And so I'm struck with the words of Psalm 121, where the psalmist says, I I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so we stand strong behind this sovereign God who is the creator of all things. Mm. So good. So, so good. How important is that our convictions are shaped by scripture? Well, I, I discuss this as well in the book, and it's one that I believe is, is absolutely essential because anything less than a full-orbed and radical commitment to the truth of Scripture will fall short and fail to propel the people of God in a fruitful direction. And so I discuss in Spineless how the Word of God uh, fuels our convictions, and I, I turn our attention to the apostles and see how the, the Word of God fueled their convictions I believe that God is looking for men and women who say what they mean and mean what they say, period. He's looking for courageous men of women who let their yes be yes and their no be no. He's looking for a business people who make honest decisions that honor the holy name of God. He's looking for attorneys, for lawyers who defend the weak and the marginalized and ensure that true justice biblical justice, not social justice, is carried out. He's looking for educators who challenge the minds and the hearts of students and equip people to make a difference in the world for God's glory. He's looking for healthcare providers who protect the unborn. Imagine that, protect the unborn and treat people with dignity and respect. And then, of course, God is looking for preachers who stand tall in the pulpit, who refuse to flinch, preachers who proclaim the unadulterated, undiluted word of God, preachers who refuse to capitulate and compromise, preachers who refuse to bow down to the zeitgeist, to the spirit of the age, preachers who insist on bowing down to only one person and one person alone, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think, and and you and I are both agree, this is probably the biggest battleground where we're yep. facing Because you have people that are saying all sorts of things about the Bible, um, from Adam not being a real person, real history, questioning generals and uh, biblical justice and thinking, well, all of that is is social justice. And uh, the Bible is full of myths and fairy tales. And boy, I mean, if you don't believe the Bible to be the word of God, then why are you even talking about it? That's that's what I want to know. That's right. Yeah, I agree. you just come to the Bible and you think, oh, well, Adam isn't, Adam is just a myth. Okay, well, then there you go. You just did away with pretty much the whole storyline of, you know, God doing a work in, in people's lives and telling this, that story. Um, and, I mean, you deal away with uh, biblical gender roles. Then you, then you have massive confusion like we we're seeing increase day after day after day. Um, you do away with 
biblical norms in a society and, and teaching about how government should function. Um, guess what you have? You have what's happening today. I mean, so, right. so how we understand the Bible um, is is so important because, as you're saying, it's it's absolutely critical so that we can, you know, we would say we would go to Carl F. H. Henry, right? He 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 yep. not only that's said right. a biblical worldview, but it, he would talk about a biblical life view, yep. and that's just that's that's our need today. And I think that's really what you're trying to do in the book. So, yep, you bet. Yeah. What are some markers of faithful proclamation of God's word? Well, this is a really a major theme in the book. Uh, Paul, the apostle writes to the Colossian believers. It's one of my favorite verses in the new Testament. He says, him, we proclaim speaking of Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so I use that verse as really a launching pad in the book to discuss several features of this strong proclamation that you're asking about. One of those features is that strong proclamation must be Christ-centered. Of course, the hymn in Colossians 1.28 is the Lord Jesus Christ, who Paul refers to in the very next verse, or the previous verse rather, as the hope of glory. And so I believe this kind of preaching does not water down the hard edges of the gospel. This kind of preaching does certainly not proclaim a health and wealth gospel. It does not elevate the free will of the creature that is so popular these days. It doesn't minimize the sovereignty of God. This kind of preaching rather exalts the living God. Additionally, this kind of strong proclamation ministry must be unabashedly bold. The church, I believe, needs bold emissaries, men of God, men who say what they mean and mean what they say, as I said earlier. We need men like Polycarp and Tyndale and Cranmer, men who are willing to lose life and limb for the sake of the gospel, men like J.C. Ryle. We need men who will stand behind the pulpit and utter the gospel of Jesus Christ, men who call sin by name, who call sin by name and call sinners to repent of that sin. We need men with backbones who herald the timeless message to people in a godless culture that we find ourselves living in. So good. I mean, <laughs> we could talk about this probably for hours, right? I of mean, course, of course. The, the level of fluff that we have happening, even, even we were just talking about this before we were recorded, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm talking about when I talk about fluff, I'm talking about you're giving the people a, a digest of, a diet of just topical preaching and now topical preaching can be done. Well, it can be driven by the text, but most often what happens with guys with cherry, with uh, topical preaching is it's cherry picking. You take this yep. verse and this verse and that verse and this verse. Whereas if you take uh, say somebody was to take Matthew five through seven and work through that, we would say that would be fantastic. As long as you're focusing on the text and the text is driving right. that. Um, so we're not talking about being nitpicky and and those kind of things. What people hear, they hear a lot of that when when we talk about that. So we're just to clear the air there. But we're saying that you have to pre. I think the best, and we would we would both agree, the best regular diet of the church is really uh, lecto can uh, lecto continue, not lecto selecta. That's right. <laughs> is through books of the Bible, not just picking yeah. and choosing. Um, and we see that throughout the history of the church. If you are interested, you know, there's a great 
series, uh, he's Oliphant Old, and he's a historian of preaching. Um, there's many other books on on this. If it if it fascinates you to you know to no end, I mean they're they're quite large. But you know the thing is is that that's what we need today. We need that kind of preaching, and it's not for the preacher to just have forty minutes to an hour. It's it's we're facing untold as we're talking about untold challenges, and that time is to equip the saints for the work of ministry to rightly handle the word of God. Not so that you know they can hear the their pastor's latest opinions on whatever it is. Um, that's not the that's not the task of preaching. It's yeah, just, the people need to hear what God says, not not yeah. what the preacher says. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and we need that. I mean, I need that. We need that not only on Sunday. We need that in our small groups as we gather together under God's word, and um, so much that we could probably say about that that. You know, we don't have time to, to talk about, but sure. moving on to the next question, how important is it that we're governed by biblical conviction and informed by biblical truth as Christians? Well, this is absolutely essential. Um, the Apostle Paul's prayer for Timothy is that he would know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth, 1 Timothy 3.15. So I talk about this a great deal in Spineless. And the reason that I address the issue is, is really simple. The scripture addresses this issue. So, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. And I love this. Act like men. Be strong. So we need to understand, for instance, that the Christian worldview, as you just mentioned, is, is the only coherent worldview. The Christian faith is the only worldview that can be lived out consistently and meaningfully. I love uh, what Nancy Piercy says when she says Christianity fulfills both our reason and our spiritual yearnings. In other words, the Bible tells us about one God who sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to rescue the prisoners of war, as it were. And if you continue to live in your sin, you will pay a, a terrible price for that sin in the lake of fire where you will face the white-hot wrath of God forever and ever. And so the only way out is for, for Jesus to rescue us, because Jesus died on the cross for sinners and was raised on the third day. He alone has the power to deliver us and forgive us of all our sin. I say it this way, ascending out of the abyss can never be achieved through our own flimsy efforts, through our own works. We must trust in Christ alone. We must cry out to him for freedom and forgiveness and ask for this courage to, to bypass this spineless path that I refer to in the book. Yep. So good, brother. So good. Well, I think this question is really important. You do such a good job um, answering it in the book. How do we develop a proper fear of God and stand fast against the fear of man? Well, we go immediately to the apostles for help and inspiration. And so I, I love Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 tells a story about a group of men who refused to compromise their convictions. Here we find the, the high priest and the Sadducees filled with jealousy, which led to the arrest of the apostles. Then in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord rescued them from the confines of prison and instructs them, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life, capital L-I-F-E. 
Then at the break of dawn, they make their way to the temple. And what do we find them doing? Preaching the word of God. And when the high priest summoned the officials to bring the apostles forward, they learned that they had escaped and that they were teaching the people. And here's how the story plays out. Let me read Acts 5, 27 to 29. It says, when they brought them, they sent them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So Dave, I I believe once again, God is looking for men of conviction. He expects us to be a people of unshakable and unwavering conviction. And while several contributing factors fueled the convictions of the apostles, it was first and foremost, their devotion to the word of God. One can only imagine what was running through the minds of these men when they stood before the high priests and the council for the second time. They had already been thrown in the, in the, in the prison uh, they, for exercising their convictions. And so these men do not stand before the council with cavalier attitudes. This is dead serious business. They understood that their, that their very lives were on the line. And so the apostles' devotion to the word of God, quite frankly, fueled their convictions. In Spineless, I, I talk about three unmovable pillars that undergird their steadfast devotion to the word of God. Namely, the word is truth, the word is powerful, and the word is authoritative. And the apostles bank on these three great realities. And so we must as well bank on these realities that's that's money man money you know we it's so easy just to um you know we we might have an emotional issue um that comes into our lives and it's so easy in those times just to um take that emotional issue and then compromise on a certain doctrine because if it's a family member for example or something like that it's it's so easy just to say you know but no, there's, there's no, but, you know, we should never say, oh, but my emotions. No, it's what does God say in our emotion Our God's word informs our emotions. And we have to keep going back to that because so many people end up saying, oh, well, you know, that's just how I think or how I feel about it. It was like, as a Christian, we have an authoritative standard. We have a reliable, trustworthy, sufficient for every, every area, every phase it's binding on our lives word. And, you know, we can't just fudge on that when it's convenient and say, or when it gets hard and some family member or whatever has some sort of issue and, you know, whatever that issue is, uh, we have to stand on the truth of scripture and tell ourselves, this is going to be hard. There's going to be hard days ahead. There might yep. even be a fracture in the relationship, but even Jesus told us that we have to count the cost. Him above family a family and everything, Christ above all. And because right. Christ is enough. He really is. And um, it's a tough thing. It's it's a challenging thing. And those are probably some of Jesus's hardest teachings. I mean, when he says that, right, people end up going away. They're like, uh, what does Peter say in John 6 towards the end? Uh, where are we? And Jesus says, are you going to leave too? And no, you have the words of eternal life. You know, we have yep. the, the words of eternal life and they're in a book. So we don't get to pick and choose and rip out some pages of the Bible because we don't like them. 
you gotta if you're gonna believe the bible you gotta believe every word of it that's right you gotta stand fast on it and what does that do it 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 helps us in the midst of all these things it's so easy to you know we face challenges on social media um and so many things and we just have to remind ourselves this is a truth um we stand on it we proclaim it we don't fudge on it we don't compromise on it and is that comfortable for anybody <laughs> no does that make me better than anybody else no it means god is right and in love we tell people the truth that's right how how important is it to develop we're talking about boldness here and being bold and it's a it's a tough thing in our day because you know everybody says it's uh, just be that's your truth it's just private yep. just keep it in your house you know don't tell me about what you think um how do we how do we develop this biblical understanding of boldness and how can we go about it practically yeah well here, here's what i believe i believe that our effectiveness as christians will be a direct reflection of our commitment to our boldness so how do we do it mm. Um, in one of the chapters, I talk about the need for exemplary conduct and extraordinary courage. And we find the Apostle Paul demonstrating both of these qualities. So, for instance, in Philippians 1, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. For the faith of the gospel. You know who modeled that exemplary conduct, Dave, was Francis Schaeffer. Uh, mm. I love Francis Schaeffer. He stood firm for biblical truth uh, in the battle for the inerrancy of scripture, for instance. He faithfully opposed the theological liberalism and the neo-orthodoxy of the 50s and 60s. And speaking at a memorial service in London, Os Guinness said this. He said, the greatest thing about Francis Schaeffer was Francis Schaeffer. Love that. Guinness identified something in Schaefer that was difficult to miss. Schaefer was a courageous Christian. Mm. But then scripture speaks as well of extraordinary courage. And the kind of Christian courage that we need means that we respond to our opponents with fearlessness. I think of God's instructions to Joshua, only be strong and courageous. Our call is the same. As you just mentioned, our call is to flee from spinelessness, to be bold, to be brave, to be courageous, to develop theological conviction in the marketplace of ideas. Yeah, so good. You know, one one thing, you know, um, sometimes it's it's hard to you, whether that's on social media, or you're having a conversation with somebody and you have to realize, is what I'm saying going to be helpful to that particular conversation and to that particular right. person? Is it going to minister? Is it going to edify? And if it's not, it's okay to not enter that conversation. Not every yep. conversation is one that you have to enter. That's why we have the category of biblical wisdom. You know, that's, that's right. why we have the Proverbs. You know, that's yep. why we have Ephesians uh, 4, 29 and Colossians 3 and James 3 and other things. And, but if it's, if it is a, a, a thing that you can speak to, it's an issue that you've studied, an issue that you've thought about. And, and I say it that way because, you should think and you should think biblically and soundly about a topic. Don't just sit there and be that keyboard ninja um, on social media. Don't be that person. Get yep. informed. Get in the word. Be reading. You know, we can commit the opposite error, right? Well, 
oh, well, I don't think that I'm ever going to say anything. No, you should say something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you should say it because you're informed by scripture, you know, not just willy nilly out there offering your opinion about things. No, we as Christians don't have opinions. We have truth. We have that's an right. objective standard of revelation. And Absolutely. that's the difference between what our culture offers and what biblical Christianity offers. And that's so important. Um, but, okay, so you figured out that you need to, to say something. So you've, you've studied it, you've thought about it, but you may be afraid. That's, that's where we come to at the end of it today. It's don't pray, uh, seek counsel, uh, yep. maybe learn from other people. You know, there are issues that um, we have to speak up on. We've talked about them today, about gender roles, about biblical justice, and we're facing challenges like never before. And the time to be afraid is come and it's gone. Like yep. We right. got to stand up and we got to be counted and we got to right. be ready and we got to we got to say something. But we got to do so thoughtfully. We got to do so intelligently. Because Jesus gave us a mind and he called us to love him with that mind and to love other people. And it should minister to people. When we talk, people should take notice, not only because we've actually thought about it, which, by the way, that answer is a huge objection. The Christians are dumb, which we're not. We have the answers. The question is, are you going to study it? Are you going to thoughtfully think about it? And then are you going to prayerfully respond and uh, those are some things I would say uh, as we talk about that. Your thoughts, brother? Well, you know, I, I think we have become comfortable with pragmatism. If it works, it must be a good thing. And so as a result, we have, in, in some cases, chosen a path that could be best described as worldly. We have become like the world in the church. And so bottom line is we're afraid of what the world is going to think about us. So what will the world think about us if we make strong statements that oppose social justice? What will the world think if we make a strong statement that homosexual behavior is a sin? What will the world think if we say, as you mentioned earlier, Dave, that there are only two genders, period? God created male and female, period. Or what, what does the world think if we say that critical race theory has Marxist origins and should be avoided at all costs? Uh, what do we think if uh, we say that the, what will the world think if we say that abortion is a sin against a holy God? So issue after issue after issue, bottom line, what will the world think if we say that God has the final word on every single subject? Because God does have the final word on every single subject. Our task is to step forward and wield the sword of truth to speak forth the word of God and let the chips fall where they may. Amen. Amen. Well said. Well, brother, where can people go to find out more about your work online, on social media or otherwise? Well, I, as you know, Dave, I do most of my reading uh, on my blog. I should say writing, not reading. I do most of my writing on my blog at Veritas at Lux. Um, so your listeners can find me at davidsteel.blog, and I encourage listeners to check that out, to subscribe, to come along for the ride. And of course, all of my uh, books are available at amazon.com. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. I encourage you to, to check out his blog. We also repost a lot of his reviews and articles, and he always does a great job. So 
Um, you know, Dave, there's a lot that we could talk about about this subject. We've merely scratched the surface just as we wrap up. Do you have any takeaways for our listeners? Yeah, I sure do. Um, you know, my late grandfather, uh, Vernie Steele, was a pastor for most of his adult life. And he used to say this. He used to say, never sell your soul for a mess of pottage. And I see many professing Christians selling out, literally selling out to appease the world. They're afraid of getting canceled. They're afraid of getting marginalized. They're afraid of getting fired. I see professing Christians compromise doctrinal standards because scripture offends people or hurts their feelings. I see Christians trying to live up to expectations of the world instead of living a gospel-centered life and living a Christ-pleasing life. In short, many people have grown spineless. And so my hope is that this book will challenge such people, that it will bolster courage and conviction to those who are also walking faithfully with God. Mm. Well said, brother. Well said. Well, guys, we've been talking today with David Steele, my friend, my good friend, about his book, Spineless, Restoring Courage and Conviction to the People of God. I mentioned I have endorsed it. I strongly, strongly urge you to go and pick up this book. You'll be blessed uh, by it and encouraged. Brother, thank you so much for your time today, for your friendship. I appreciate you and all you do, and may Christ richly bless you. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.